Welcome to the worship service of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Do you ever feel like you're unworthy to be loved by God? Do you ever feel like you're not good enough to be loved by God? If you have those feelings, then know you're in good company. Because it truly is the great leaders of the church down through the centuries who've had those exact feelings and felt the answer was no. You can go back to the founding of the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther. There in the 1500s, Martin Luther had been raised in a very strict German family. There was always discipline. He had come to believe that authority was always watching over him, just waiting for him to step out of line and to punish him. That's what happened in life, at home, at school. And he came to believe that really was God's role. Always watch. Did you step out of line to punish He had gone off to law school, and one weekend he was coming home. And as he was coming home, he got caught in a thunderstorm. And when he saw the thunderstorm was coming, he ran to go under a tree to get out of the rain. Now, we know that wasn't the brightest thinking. He got under the the tree, and sure enough, it was a lightning storm, and a bolt of lightning hit that tree he was hiding under, and Martin Luther literally heard it sizzle, crackle in the air around him air standing up. He just knew God was throwing lightning bolts at him because he was such a bad person. He fell on his knees and he said, Oh God, if you won't kill me, I'll become a monk. So Martin Luther quit going to law school. He went to a monastery and there he began working to become a monk. He took on the most menial and rotten jobs that nobody else wanted because he felt so unworthy. He made sure he was always in chapel always reading his Bible, always chanting, always going to confession twice a day. The priest who heard it said it's like being stoned with popcorn, Martin Luther. You don't have anything to confess. But he still felt so bad about himself. Now in the end, he found that he wanted to punish his flesh. And so there in his little cell that he was given at the monastery, he would strip off naked and lay there on the stone cold floor in winter. He said, I wanted to catch the Holy Spirit, but all I caught was pneumonia. No matter what he did, he didn't feel good enough. 
He didn't feel loved. Fellow monks said, why don't you go on pilgrimages? They just wanted to get him out of the monastery. They sent him to Rome. He began going to all these, these Christian sites and he would walk on his knees and with his hands and, and they would be bloodied as he would go to all of these sites. But still he did not feel like he was good enough. It was one night when he had come back home and there he was in his cell and he was reading Paul's letter to the Romans that he read a statement that you were justified by faith. And suddenly it hit Martin Luther. It is by faith alone, in God's grace alone, that we are saved. It was one of those aha moments of God breaking into his life. And I'm going to let Martin Luther tell you about it. He said, I felt like I was born again. It was a whole new feeling. I was set free to discover that God loved me, even me. Not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I didn't do. God has chosen to love me. It revolutionized his life. The way that he saw God, the way that he saw himself, the way that he looked at others. When he came to know that God loved him. It is by faith alone, in God's grace alone. We are changed. It'd be 200 years later, John Wesley. He too had been raised in a very strict home. Not quite like Luther, but still it had discipline. And he worked hard to be good. He went off to college at Oxford and there he tried so hard to be the best he could be. He created what was called the Holy Club where they were so methodical in their Bible study and going to class and prayer time. The other students teased Martin and uh, uh, John uh, Wesley and all of his friends in the Holy Club and they said, you guys are so methodical. You've got a method for everything. You're nothing but a bunch of Methodists. No, he wanted to be methodical and disciplined and trying to be the best he could be. He got a good education. He had a great understanding of theology. When he got through his school, he decided he wanted to go to America, to the new world, a place to be a missionary. Went to Savannah, Georgia. On the trip over to Savannah, he got to know a young woman named Sophie Hopkins. Sophie was a wonderful young lady, very smart. He became smitten. He fell in love with Sophie. But when he got to Savannah, his brother and some others kept saying, don't spend your time on women. Don't get mixed up with her. You need to focus on your ministry. And so John began to pull back. She was now living here in Savannah. She found someone else and suddenly went and eloped and got married. Made John so angry and hurt. And so he treated them poorly and it made the rest of the community mad. Now he, he had gone in order to, to be in ministry to all the, the British people who had come over and living in Savannah and he said to go bring the gospel to the Indians. Well, he didn't relate to all the Native Americans here. He didn't relate to all the, the British. They were mad because he seemed so jealous and in the end he got sued. I mean, it was a mess. 
After two years, John Wesley got on a boat to come back home. On the way back home, the, the ship got caught in a storm. It's a small ship, big waves. Everybody knew that ship was going down and they were going to die. And John Wesley was terrified. But there was a group, a group of people who were Moravians. They were from Germany. And they were on deck and they were singing their songs and they weren't afraid at all. They were people of such faith. And Wesley saw himself being so afraid and here were these people who were so calm in the face of death. What did they have that he didn't have? When John Wesley got back home in late 1737, he was not in a good place. A failure at the ministry he felt called to in America, a failure in his relationships. He felt a failure in his own faith. He went to go study with the Moravians and try to understand better, talking with Peter Bowler and others. He wanted his faith to be something more. And so it was on May 24th, 1738, that John Wesley went to a Bible study there on Aldersgate Street. It's 282 years ago today, May 24th. I'll let him tell you. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. For Wesley, this became one of those significant moments in his life. It wasn't conversion. He had been a Christian for decades. He had a very well thought out faith. But this became a moment of assurance to understand in his heart that God not only loved the world, as the Gospel of John tells us, God not so loved the world, but God loved me, even me. We call this day Aldersgate Day. And it is that moment of assurance for John Wesley. And I think it is so special that this year, Aldersgate Day falls on Memorial Sunday. For it truly does remind us that, that when we know God's assurance of love for us, it changes the way that we're able to look at life and confront life, life and death. We are able to say we've not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we've been given a spirit of sonship. And when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself witnessing with our spirit that we are the children of God. To have the assurance that you are loved by God, not because of what you've done, not because of what you didn't do, but because you're a child of God. God has freely chosen to love you.
Tomorrow is Memorial Day, a day that was created for us to set aside time to remember and to give thanks for those who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could be free. Free to live in a country where we can choose how we will worship, we can choose the kind of life we will live, the values that we embrace. It's so very important on this Memorial Sunday as we remember those who have sacrificed and given so much for this family of faith that we take time to remember how we have been loved, that we are a part of the family of faith. We are the children of God. And when it begins with you being loved by God, it will change how you love others. It will change how we live with one another. I believe it's what gives us a foundation to be able to remember and to give thanks. This morning, I, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Be Not Afraid. What a difference it makes when you have the assurance of faith. I just want to share with you three thoughts. One, when you get up tomorrow, take time to remember and start saying thank you. Thank you, thank you all day long. To remember those who did sacrifice and gave their lives so that you had, and I had this incredible gift of freedom. To stop and remember truly the saints on whose shoulders we stand, the people who have blessed us and blessed this church. To remember the people who blessed you personally who have died. Tomorrow is supposed to be a day of gratitude because we remember. And you know, this is my 29th Memorial Day as a part of this family of faith. My 29th time. Over these last 29 years, I have read more than 1,500 names. Whenever we come to this kind of a day and I read these names, I find it very emotional because as I go through those names, I think of so many memories and, and how they've been a blessing. But I don't just think about these names. I think back about all these people through these last 29 years. I do it every Sunday morning. I sit here and I look around and I think about all the different people who have loved and who have blessed this church and who have blessed me. You know, every church has a personality. Every church has a personality. And here at St. Luke's, it's a personality of, of joy and of love and of service. Because from the beginning, our commitment has been to share God's love and bring hope in the world. Our emphasis has been on that experience that we have not received the spirit of slavery to enter into fear, but into sonship. Our emphasis has been on love rather than fear and guilt. And it's created a special spirit. And I love when I go back and I call in my mind all of these people that I remember. We're not perfect. And we didn't always think alike. But we loved alike. And it's made such a difference through the years. You know, one of those that I was thinking back about was Harold Moreland and his wife, Zeke. Harold died 20 years ago now. 
Zeke died about 26 years ago or so. They're a wonderful family. I loved them very much. Her name actually was Ezekiel. I have a feeling her mom and dad were kind of counting on a boy. When she was born, they named her Ezekiel. She went by Zeke. She couldn't have been more than 5'2", 5'3", red hair. She was a wonderful lady, pretty, kind. Harold loved his wife. They would come to the line and see me almost every Sunday. They were older when I arrived. They would come through. They would greet me, hug my neck. They were so kind. And then one Sunday, Harold came to the line. He came to the line after I'd been here a couple years by then, and he had said, you know, Bob, I really think you're just getting better looking. I was a little taken back and said, well, Harold, thank you very much. He said, you know, I am going blind. I, 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 I kind of took back. He looked at me. We both cracked up laughing. And then I asked him, are you really? And he said, yes. It was his way of telling me. He wasn't in despair. He didn't give up. He had macular degeneration. His eyesight was growing poor. The doctor said he was going to go blind. He'd come through line on a regular basis and tell him, you know, Bob, you're getting better looking all the time. And then Zeke died. Broke his heart. He was in such grief. We talked and we shared. He didn't want to go on living but I watched this family of faith, his Sunday school class, people wrap their arms around him and take care of him and love on him and literally loved him back to life. His eyesight got poor and worse as time went on, but he always still came by with a word of joy, a word of encouragement, a word to tease and to laugh. And we walked life together until he passed away in the year 2000. And, you know, I've watched that happen hundreds of times over these last 29 years. It has been the spirit of who we are. And when it comes to this kind of a day, I find myself calling that role in my mind, seeing those faces. I remember. And I spend my time saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Those saints on whose shoulders we stand. We have not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit of sonship. To know, to have the assurance of God's love. It changes the way we look at God, ourselves, and one another. Tomorrow on that Memorial Day, when you get out of bed, take time to remember and start saying thank you. Secondly, Know that it's when you and I grow in our assurance of God's constant love of us, his children. It's when you and I grow in faith that we find a strength from beyond ourselves that enables us to confront life and death and not be afraid. To find the strength to confront life. It's on a day like the day that we are reminded life isn't always easy. It isn't always just fond and joyful. 
there is sadness because you love someone and they have entered the kingdom of heaven. But you find a strength to be able to embrace life, to embrace our memories, to go on in a spirit of joy. For we have come to know that when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself that is witnessing with our spirit that we are the children of God. To know that we are the children of God, loved by Him, you know, it gives you a strength to be able to confront life and death. You know, Deb Fowler tells the story of one of the most difficult times in her life. It took place about 10 years ago now. She was living down in Charleston, South Carolina. She had a son, Tony. He was 15. His best friend was Josh. He was 17. And these two boys decided to buy a boat. It was a 15-foot sailboat. They got it really cheap. Because even though it was a sailboat, it didn't have a mast, it didn't have a sail, and it had a hole in the bottom of the boat. They got it pretty cheap. They even named it Under Construction. And they set to work to repair the hole in the bottom of that boat and to start cleaning it up and painting it. And they had such a good time working on it. And one Sunday afternoon, they decided to, to go out in the bay and just do a little bit of fishing. They didn't have a motor on the boat or a sail, but they had a couple of oars and so they rode out a little bit to do some fishing. Well, while they were out there fishing, the wind turned. And then there was a rip current. And they were in that rip current and began to pull the boat out of the bay and out into the ocean. And as hard as they rowed, they couldn't row against the current. They didn't have any communication. You know, when they would finally find the trucks, they would find their two cell phones there safely on the dash so that they wouldn't get wet. No, they disappeared into the night. No one knew it for a long time until they didn't come home when it was dark and they went looking for them and they found their truck and the trailer. They found their cell phones. No food, no water, no cell phone. They were gone. They called the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard immediately launched a search Sunday night. They searched all night long, found nothing. They continued on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Finally, Wednesday around noon, they came to tell them they had to call off the search. They were only allowed to search for 72 hours. And they told Deb there might be a sliver of hope, but you need to start preparing yourself for the worst. Friends continued on the search on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. She and the other family had gotten a beach home right down on the coast. Their friends and family came. They all came to be there to bring food, just to sit with them, to listen. There was not anything anyone could do. And Deb said she had always come to the beach to look out into the ocean and to feel close to God. And now when she looked out into the ocean, all she could think about was her son. She wasn't sure that she could deal with this. She wasn't sure she could do it. 
It was on Saturday. She was sitting on her porch, and she was looking around at all the people who had come, the food they had brought, and she thought, these are all instances of God's love. It's his way of wrapping his arms around me. She was sitting there with her pastor, and she looked over to him and said, I don't know how to do this. And he simply said, I don't know how to do this either. I've just been praying for God to give us strength. And at that moment, it felt so natural for Deb to pray. And she simply bowed her head and began to say, Lord, I will miss Troy every day that I am alive. But I know that you are with him and have been with him from the moment he disappeared. Thank you for holding my son close. I know you love him even more than I do, though I don't understand how. I need that love. Only your love will allow me to accept this. She took a deep sigh and she let the prayer go. And she said, it was in that moment and in that emptiness that I began to feel God's presence. A presence that was greater than myself. A presence that seemed to come and to say, I will give you strength. I knew that I would be healed and be able to go on. She got up from her seat and she went over to the people who were there a few groups here and there and said, we're going to gather in the living room in a few minutes and I want us to plan a memorial service. As they started gathering in the living room, the phone began to ring. Someone picked it up and said, Troy? Troy? In a moment, Deb was talking with Troy. What had happened was they were 117 miles north of where they put in, seven miles out to sea. They'd been seven days without food or water. They were so dehydrated and sunburned, they were this close to death. And then, at a moment, there was a swell, and the boat kind of rose up, and at that moment, there was a 52-foot Hatteras fishing boat going north. It happened to be there at that moment. And the captain happened to look over that direction. And in a far distance, he thought he saw two people standing in a boat waving their paddles. He happened to see in that moment. He went over and picked them up, brought them to shore, they were in the hospital. In the end, both boys would be fine. That Sunday, the next day, they were all in church, and as you can imagine, all the family and friends were celebrating that God had brought Troy home. But it was Deb who said, I am clear. It was not my faith that saved Troy. That was God's gift. That was the grace moment, that at the moment 
the swell would come to raise the boat, that at the moment the boat was going by, that at the moment the captain would happen to turn and see something in a distance. No, she said, I'm very clear. That was God's gift. But she said, what I'm also clear about is that in the darkest moment of my life, when I opened myself to him, I found a strength from beyond myself that I never dreamed possible that would enable me to confront whatever I needed to confront in life or in death. That moment has changed my life forever. It's when you and I grow in our ability to trust in God's constant love of us as children, when we grow in our faith, when we grow in our assurance that we are able to cry, Abba, Father, and know that the Spirit Himself is witnessing with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if you have the assurance of that love, then you don't have to be afraid. And so third, you know, when I think about all these incredible people who are part of this family of faith, when I think about all the special people who have sacrificed so much that I can be free, you know, I find myself always wanting to do something to express appreciation, to honor them. And I've become clear that the way that you honor those who have gone before you is by the way that we live right now. We honor those that we remember by living with a spirit of love and joy and service. That's how you honor them. It's how we say thank you. It's by how we live now. They have given so much to create this country, this world, this church that we know and love. And now it's our turn to live in such a way that we carry that same kind of message forward. It's why I am so proud when I think of all that you do through our after-school ministries and mentoring and, and child care and food ministry. And, and so many of you have created so many wonderful organizations that are out there in our community, blessing life. Everything from Fields and Futures to Cleats for Kids to, to Remerge to, uh, to NSO. and I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of the ways that you work and give of yourself. We are witnessing to the fact that we are called to share God's love and bring hope in the world. It's how we honor the saints on whose shoulders we stand. We're called to be able to go ahead and live with joy and purpose because we have the assurance of God's love. We're not afraid to face anything in this life or in death. You know, I love Rachel Remen. I love a couple of her books. She came to speak here years ago now. I'll call Rachel every now and then just to check in on her. I really believe she has to be one of the kindest most genuine souls that I've ever met. Amazing lady. 
She tells a wonderful story. You know, she had been a physician, became a counselor. And she tells about a story, a lady named Enid who came to see her. It turned out that she was in her early 70s. Her husband, Herbert, had died a couple years before. And when Herbert died, Enid just withdrew. She stayed in her home. She cut herself off basically from family and friends. A lot of days she never got out of her bathrobe. She just sat in a chair and looked out the window. It was Enid's daughter who came to Rachel and said, when my father died, I lost my mother too. And it was she and her brother who wanted Rachel to visit with Enid, and, and so Enid came. She came in, they brought her, she sat down, and, and Rachel said, the two of us just sat down, and for a long time we didn't say anything. Finally, it was Rachel who broke the ice and said, Enid, why are you here? Well, my children thought it would be helpful. They thought maybe you could help me. But there is no way you can help. You can't understand the grief that I have. And Rachel said, you're right. The only one who could really understand your grief would be Herbert. Enid just nodded. They sat quietly again for a while. Finally, Rachel said, Enid, if Herbert was here, what would you want to say to him about what you've had to live through the last two years? She thought about it and then she closed her eyes and she said, I would tell him how lonely I am when I go walk the dog by myself. How lonely I am when I eat my meals. How lonely I am when I go to bed. She began to talk about all the things she had learned to do that Herbert used to do for them. She started to reflect on all the memories that only the two of them would share. And then she started to cry. And the more she cried, the more she began to sob. She had not cried since the funeral. And now she sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And Rachel just sat there quietly till finally Enid composed herself. And then Rachel said, is there anything else that you need to say to Herbert? She said that she's a little angry. She was angry at him because he said they were going to grow old together. And now she was all alone. She started explaining to Rachel, said, you know, when she grew up, she didn't grow up in an overly loving and affectionate family, but Herbert was so loving. He was so expressive that he brought a kind of love to their children, that he taught her how to love. He taught her how to love their family and love their friends, that he was this incredible, outgoing, loving man, and it changed her life as, she had, as he taught her how to love. Again, they sat for a few moments, and then Rachel said, So Enid, if Herbert was here, what do you think he would want to say to you about the way you've lived life? She looked so shocked. She didn't want to take just a moment, and she said, 
He would say, Enid, why have you built a monument of pain to me when our whole life stood for love? She said to Rachel, I, I kind of thought that if I was ever happy again, if I laughed again, if I loved again, somehow I'd be dishonoring Herbert's memory. Now I see I was wrong. With that, she got up and she left. And she never came back. Rachel said, Herbert had told her everything she needed to hear. It was about a year later, she got a note in the mail, and it was a photograph from a newspaper. It was of a community group out blessing life, and the leader was Enid. She was out amongst this group of people, other men and women. They were laughing. They were working. She was the leader of the group, seeking to bless life. And she had written at the bottom, grief. I hoisted anchor, and I caught the wind. The best way that you and I honor these saints on whose shoulders we stand is by choosing to live a life of love and joy and service. And you and I can do that. We can do that because we have not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We've been given a spirit of sonship. So that when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself witnessing with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you have that assurance, when you have the assurance of God's love, you find the strength you need to face anything in life or in death. When you have that assurance, then you can hear Jesus say, be not afraid. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been watching the worship service of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. 
We trust that you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.